Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game. With me, Kevin Day, in rainy South London, and him, Kieran Maguire of Liverpool University, who of course lives in Sussex. What's the weather like there, Kieran? It's been absolutely piddling down uh, for the last few hours. It's uh, maelstrom levels of rain at present. Oh, you went from piddling down to maelstrom in one sentence. That's very good work. Well done. Um, Later in this episode, we will hear from Heather McKinley of the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust about the takeover of the club, which was confirmed last week. Uh, Spoiler alert, Heather was in a very good mood, so I allowed her references to goals scored against Palace to go unchallenged. I didn't want to harsh her buzz. Now, Kieran, we, we are recording this on Wednesday evening, Kieran, so you can go and watch someone called Brighton playing something called the Carabao Cup. I'm not entirely sure what that is. So, <laughs> this uh, Mickey Mouse comp. So, then, this is very much breaking news, but it's news that Wigan fans have been waiting for for a long time. Yes, uh, the Wigan administrators, uh, Begbies, they have announced that they've accepted a bid, um, and the bidder has paid a quote sizable deposit. Uh, which which is normally a good sign. Yeah, we've we've seen what's happened when clubs have been sold for a pound, uh, and that ne- never ended up as good news. Um, there's been no name of the bidder as yet. All that we know is that they are apparently connected to football and from Spain. So that could be Gary Lineker's brother. Uh, let's hope it's not. Uh, <laughs> yes. for, for very many reasons. Um, I, I, I suppose the romantics in this would like to think it was something to do with Roberto Martinez, but there's no point speculating at the moment. Um, it's obviously good news, and it, it seems uh, already that creditors, they said, will be paid, so no 15-point deduction, is that right? That's right. The way that the uh, the EFL system works, and this is quite a good rule, it's to stop, uh, it's to stop uh, owners... Uh, putting the club into administration and buying it back for a pound themselves, yeah. um, you've got to pay twenty five percent of the sums due to creditors. Um, they don't. They do appear to be confident that the administrators will will manage that. Um, and the fans have been absolutely amazing. They've they've raised seven hundred thousand pounds, which have uh, helped to pay for the sort of the day to day running costs. I don't think they go towards wages, but uh, it has allowed the club to do things such as COVID testing, um, transport, uh, yeah, accommodation. So so that that's all good news. Um, and you've got to hope that the the owners and directors test can be passed. And uh, the deal can be cle- completed as soon as possible. Um, I suspect it won't necessarily be completed in time for the end of the transfer window. But I think as we've established for, from talking to people from Wigan, like, they just want a club that they know that's going to be in existence in 12 months' time. And this clearly is a big step forwards. Yes, well, we've spoken several times to Caroline Molyneux, who's the chair of the Wigan Supporters Trust. And we promised that we would have her on when there's finally some good news. So we'll try and get to chat to her before... Uh, Monday's uh, letters, letters, questions pod. Um, that's seven hundred thousand pounds that the fans raise, though. In general, if if the new owners come in and say uh, that's a wonderful thing that you've done there, but we we don't need or want the money if it's still some of the left. Well, what happens? Will they redistribute it? Will they keep it in club funds? I, I would imagine that as it is donations towards the club. 
um, it, it will go towards the funds but because it's increased the, the the money which effectively has been generated during the administration. It has actually helped to contribute towards the ability of the the administrators or the the, the people subsequent to the administrators to pay that twenty five percent dividend. So, so what the fans have done is that they've increased the likelihood of the further fifteen point penalty not taking place. Brilliant, and the, the administrators have been quite open in the past about bids that have been turned down and unacceptable bids. So presumably they wouldn't have announced this unless there was firm foundations and this is solid, definitely going to happen. Yes. So so we, we spoke about the, the superbly named Norman Smurthwaite bidding three million. There was apparently another, I think it was a, a French bid for, for less than that. Uh, so you, we, we've only got to assume, I think, that it's, it's, in, it's in towards the, the asking price of the four million um, that Begbies say is is required to to allow them to pay off the creditors. So um, yeah, it, it's still a bargain. You know, if, you, if, they, if you're going to get the ground, the training facilities, um, and a and a club with with a, you know, a solid fan base as well, um, yeah, it's uh, it's an opportunity for the club to go forwards. Yeah, a, a lot of our news stories today, Kieran, are about grants, loans. Um, stuff of that nature, um, many of them conditional. But the National League clubs have been told they will receive an emergency grant to enable them to start the new season this weekend because until now they said they wouldn't do so unless they could afford to. Yes, and, and it's perfectly understandable from the perspective of National League clubs. Uh, you know, if, if the government says we're not going to allow fans to attend, and we did have this ludicrous situation, and it still is a ludicrous situation, where... Um, Fan, where, where clubs can open their social clubs mm. and provided they put blackouts windows yeah, across, they can then charge the fans to watch the match in the social club, but they can't watch the match outside. Now, you know, it's safer to watch a match outside than it is to watch inside. So it just shows the, the ludicrous nature of some of the rules. Yeah. Some of the National League clubs had said that they they weren't willing to to play in uh, the FA Cup games which were due to to take place because in doing so that would mean that uh, players contracts would click into place um, and they they weren't certain of being able to pay wages at the end of the month uh, it looks as if the the government grant is going to be in the region of 2 to 3 million pounds a month yeah, that, yeah that we're talking millions of pounds of course but yeah. um Compared to the the amount of money that was given in the in the government's uh, you know eat out to go out scheme recently, it, it is it is significantly lower. Football is part of the national good. It's part of uh, you know it, it's part of the fabric of our society. And that's something we've always said. Um, so it's it's a step in the right direction, um, and it will of course you know in theory allow all the FA Cup games to take place this weekend because clubs will know they'll be able to pay the bills. Yeah, and I know you saw this particular tweet because um, it had your name on it, uh, which is a giveaway. But somebody tweeted a, a sort of chart as to which games could have uh, fans in. So, you know, elite club versus elite club, no, but elite club versus non-elite club, possibly if it's a Tuesday and the curtains are up, as you say. So it is a nonsense and it does need to be gotten hold of. All this, of course, is too late for Macclesfield Town who have sort of been put out of their misery finally. They've been expelled from the National League after they were wound up in the High Court. I mean, this is not a surprise. This was this was inevitable. It was just when, it, when rather than if, wasn't it? It, it is. Uh, and, it, and it's still, 
uh, it's still such a tragedy. You know, yeah. Macclesfield Town were in League Two six weeks ago. Yeah. Um, and then the the charges following the charges following the charges following the charges. Uh, you know, the de- death by a thousand, uh, death by a thousand panels of the EFL finally got them booted out of the EFL. Um, they went into uh, they, they were wound up in the high court because the owner has not paid the wages. The owner has not paid their money due to HMRC. So there's only one person to point at, as far as I'm concerned. Um, the the one thing that Macclesfield fans are clinging on to is that they have now been formally expelled by the National League, but that doesn't come into being until the 12th of October. Um, and I. I I, I think to a certain extent, I, I wish they'd just done it today because yeah. this is giving people, I suspect, false hope. Um, that there's one thing which, to me, is is still a mystery. If you drop out of the EFL, you're entitled to parachute payments. Oh, now what's going to happen to those? Right. I don't, I don't I, know. I, oh, right. I thought for one minute you wanted me to answer that question there, Kieran. I panicked a little tiny bit because you were getting the roles mixed up. You'd be, <laughs> you, you, I was waiting for you to start doing half-assed anecdotes that trail off in the mid, mid-distance. Um, the 12th of October thing, that doesn't – I don't understand that. I mean, because there's no way out of this. There's no point in Macclesfield fans, unfortunately, looking at this and going, well, maybe there is a, a last-minute rescue because the club, unfortunately, doesn't exist, does it? Yeah, I suspect as much as anything that this is to do with the National League Constitution, right. which says that if a club is expelled, uh, it's given a formal 14 days notice. Right. Uh, oh, so okay. it, it, this could be sort of procedural and doing it by the book as much as anything else. Uh, we, we've seen nothing come from uh, the, the, the former owner, as he is now, yeah. um, to do anything to save the club. And, and I was looking at the, the BBC Sport website and – uh, you know, all, all the talk is now of some form of Phoenix Club uh, setting up to uh, try to get Macclesfield back into you know, where where they feel they belong. Whether that is the National League or League Two is not for me to say. Um, and unlike Steve Dale, the Macclesfield owner has kept totally stunned. Basically, there's been no empty promises of a new club there from him, has there? No, no. Uh, if, if the difference between Berry Football Club and Macclesfield Town Football Club is that Macclesfield Town Football Club Limited has now been formally wound up by the courts. Right. So, therefore, the owner, whose name I keep forgetting, um, he he has no legal uh, responsibilities towards the club. He, he certainly has no control. Berry Football Club Limited still exists as a legal entity. And sadly, Steve Dale is still the man who owns all the shares. Yeah. And that's why he can go on to the, the club website and just talk nonsense. Yeah, it, it, shouting into the end. I can't imagine many people go on the club website except to laugh at him or throw things at it. Um, a report, Kieran, in the London Evening Standard yesterday says that the Premier League has told the government they will bail out the EFL but only if fans are allowed back into the grounds. Yes, so um, clearly everybody's playing a game of poker at present. You've got three parties, the Premier League, the EFL 
and the government. Um, the, the Premier League is is very disappointed with the approach taken by the government with respect to um, having given the green light to uh, pilot schemes to then go back to that. Um, the Premier League points to matches taking place on continental Europe yeah. uh, with restricted crowds, but still, you know, we're talking thousands of people attending. Yeah. So if uh, if German fans can be trusted. And let's face it, we know that German fans enjoy a drink just as much as we do. If if German fans can be uh, trusted to attend matches, behave themselves and go go back home, why can't we here? Yeah, so it does seem it does seem very anomalous. You've got all of those clubs in the EFL who who lost money on that first pilot scheme, but they did it for the greater good of the game. Yeah, proving that a thousand people could attend, observing protocols. The fact that I could have I went to a match last night uh, in the Isthmian League, um, and uh, by the way, Kevin, I don't know if you do anything next Tuesday night, but it's Whitehawk versus Whitecliffe. Oh. So it's the equivalent of Brighton versus Palace non-league. Yeah, I might be um, washing my hair. Uh, <laughs> right. You mean White Leaf? You mean, don't you, rather than White, White Leaf? Leaf? Sorry, yeah, 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 White Leaf. Yeah, they are a Palace, and oh, that's interesting because my uh, cousin played for Whitehawk for uh, some time. Um, this is it, what you say is very interesting. Firstly, but I would t- tell you about the weekend we had going to see Union Berlin, but. A lot of it's gone, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Although I do, I do remember being amazed at these very hardcore, skinhead-looking Union Berlin fans who turned out to be very left-wing, who organised a bottle collection when we got off the train. They collected all the empty <laughs> beer bottles, which they because you still get deposits on the bottles over there, and they they, they collected them and and um, gave them to a guy from a homeless charity who then gets the deposits and spreads them out. But it's this is what annoys me is is the government are not being honest about their reasons here and. Football clubs, every club in the Premier League is ready, is, is COVID secure, basically, in the way that the training grounds are as safe as you, or, you know, you can't guarantee it, but it's, they're as safe as anywhere else. The football grounds are safe, but the government, as you say, simply don't trust the fans not to start kissing each other and hugging each other and, and going into into pubs. And that's that's something they need to be honest about, because this is, this is not football's problem. This is simply not trusting the British public to do the decent thing, although... Yeah, when you see 200 students at Coventry University going to a rave last night, perhaps the government are right in some areas. But it's they should be honest enough to say we don't trust the fans, and then they can step back and wait for the res- the response. Um, I mean, what do we know? What sort of money we're looking at that the Premier League would? Yeah, the Premier League say they will bail out the EFL, but how? You know, if, if it's going to take two, three million pound a week for the National League, how much is it going to take to keep the EFL going? Well, my, my understanding is actually that the, the Premier League are very sympathetic towards Leagues 1 and 2, but they're not impressed by what's been taking place in the Championship. I mean, last season, you know, the, the Premier League actually gave around about £307 million to clubs in the Championship in a combination of parachute payments, and every club that doesn't get a parachute payment gets £4.5 million from the Premier League as part of the Premier League's TV deal. So they, they say, well, hold on, we, we are giving you money all, yeah, yeah. Uh, already. And, and then they've said, well, hold on, Let's take a look at what what the championship clubs have done. Aston Villa, Derby County, Sheffield Wednesday, Birmingham City, Reading Football Clubs in 2018, all of all uh, all of those clubs managed to sell their stadiums 
to the club owners and raked in a quarter of a billion pounds from stadium sales. So if the clubs can do that, if the club owners can afford to do that, you've got club owners uh, at Burnley, at Palace, at Brighton. You, we know that our club owners are still subsidising our clubs. And um, they say, well, well, why should we go and help out ex- the clubs in the championship who have proven to be able to, to themselves get funding from from their individual owners? Um and also, they pointed out, you know, if, if you look at you know, Nathan Ake has gone from Bournemouth to Manchester City. Uh, Watkins has gone to Villa. Uh, you've signed Ake from uh, a, QPR. Yeah. Yeah. So that's another £90 million which has gone to the, the championship from the Premier League. So some money is flowing in. in. A lot of it's got to do is we've got to work out who pays. Should it be the Premier League? They've already given substantial sums that we've established. Should it be the government? Well, there's a case for saying it should. The government is preventing the clubs from generating revenue. Yeah. So should the government step in? Here's a suggestion. Who's also making a fortune out of football at present? It's the betting companies. Now, if you take a look at horse racing, there's a betting levy, and that yeah. goes in to support yeah. the sport. Why can't we have a levy on every single bet placed in the football industry and that levy goes into a central pot and the government says we'll introduce the legislation. It could take a few months. But in the meantime, we will support uh, EFL football clubs and we will get the money back from the betting industry when, when this levy goes through in terms of legislation. That's one way where the taxpayer is not picking up the burden. Uh, the betting companies, many of whom are based overseas, all of whom are making an absolute fortune, they, they are doing extremely well out of football at present because – it's match after match after match, and and you know the way that people gamble. So so um, you know this this is this is a uh, this is a suggestion from some uh, uh, an academic uh, called me, um, and uh, yeah, I, I don't see who's going to be the loser here. Well, the betting companies presumably, but I'm I'm looking forward to the headlines tomorrow. Leading academic slams betting industry. That'll be good, um, and you'll be getting angry tweets from Villa. You, you haven't had angry tweets from Villa fans for a while. That'd be nice. I think Sheffield Wednesday fans have given up on you. They've they've moved they've moved their eye elsewhere. But the uh, the eye of Sauron from the Villa fans will um, head towards you. Well, and of course, Tolkien was from Birmingham, so that's appropriate. Um, <laughs> another newspaper report suggests that EFL players do need a bailout because they're talking about losing half their wages if fans are not allowed back this season. Yeah, so so we hear, I mean, one of the issues with, with clubs in the EFL is that every time they got extra money, it's gone straight on wages. I think I think the word is spaffed, according to uh, a you. leading prime minister, um, <laughs> of, whom, of whom we will say no more. Um, but it does appear that those players who have signed contracts this season have had COVID clauses embedded into them. And those those COVID contracts have said something along the lines of, if you end up playing in front of uh, an empty stadium, you're going to have a deduction of up to 50%. If the season is curtailed, you will also have to have a significant weight deduction of up to to 50%. Um, I think many players have gone to the PFA and said, well, where do we stand? The PFA has said, well, you don't have to accept those clauses, but the problem in problem is is that if you don't accept those clauses on a brand new contract, the club might offer that contract to somebody else who yeah. does accept it. So it could be in your best long term interest, especially you know we we could be playing football in front of a playing audience in twelve months' time. It could be in your best long term interest to sign that two or three year deal now, with no guarantee as to the amount of money you're going to be getting, but at least you'd be getting something. 
Yeah, talking of curtailing the season, rather depressingly, uh, Premier League clubs have already decided how the season will end if it is finished prematurely by the pandemic. That's right. The, uh, the, the Premier League have owners' meetings, I think, on a, on a regular Tuesday basis now, sort of a, a, by all accounts that they have uh, informal meetings practically every day through WhatsApp. But there's a, there's a sort of a formal meeting via Zoom taking place on, on, a, on a Tuesday. The Premier League, by all accounts, have now agreed to go for a points-per-game um, way of ending the season, should it be curtailed. However... There's going to be another vote as to what is the minimum number of matches uh, played oh. before this ruling becomes effectively enshrined in uh, in 2020-21 season. So some clubs are looking at two-thirds, so that's going to be uh, about 25 matches. Others are looking for three-quarters, which would be, what, 30-31 matches. Um, so, you know, we, we've got to hope that, you know, from, from, I think, from the point of view of any football fan, you want the whole season to continue. Yeah. Um, and then things could start to get messy because what happens if the, the Premier League manages to have 30 or, or goes to three quarters of the way through the season, but the championship ends up being abandoned after half the way through? Does that mean that the Premier League has to accept clubs who are being promoted? So, I suspect this could end up in some form of legal challenge. Well, also, you think most things will end up in a legal challenge, Kieran, to be perfectly honest. Um, also, I mean, you've got clubs who are you know, in all competitions. The chances are that they could, you know, Palace could have played 30 games. Man City may have only played 26. So that's always going to be a grey area. Um, I do like the idea, though, uh, that Premier League owners have got their own WhatsApp group, because I imagine your name would be mentioned on that. Quite a lot, I would, I would guess. I'd, I like the idea of Steve Parrish tweeting about you, uh, what's happening about you and the uh, Roman Abramovich going, what the bloke who used to run the nightclub in Blackpool? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's, every story this week is about losing income, unfortunately. But grassroots football has lost almost half its income since the pandemic, according to a new report. And David James is concerned. Before we come on to David James, how would you define grassroots football? At what level down the league does grassroots football start, would you say, Kieran? Well, for me, it's uh, the non-professional game. So it's everything from non-league downwards. Right. Now, there's there's some people that would argue that it's it's every amateur game. Um, so th- this uh, D- David James is, is is acting as an ambassador for a uh, an electricity company, and what what they're what they're encouraging people to do, and this does make a lot of sense, is to start switching off things in, in the ground. So you know, if you, if you have a shower, turn off the shower before you, before when you leave the changing grounds and. Uh, if, if you're last out of the changing room, turn off the light and think because we, we do waste a lot of electricity. Um, there, there's currently around about 38,000 clubs in the UK, which which are deemed formally, I think, to be glass, grassroots. Um, th- there was uh, there was a poll taken. At least 10 percent of them uh, don't think that they're going to, to finish the, the season. So, you know, we're talking you know, the thick end of 4,000 clubs. You know, you've got 20 people at every club. You know, we, we're talking 80,000 people uh, potentially losing access to football from next year, which which is a frightening thought. Mm. Um, their, their revenues are down around about 46%. You know, they, they, they make money from 
local sponsors and things of that nature who, who have stopped sponsoring football because yeah. local sponsors are going out of business as well. Uh, I, I think the aim of the campaign is to to encourage the players to buy into cutting costs, and that might make a few more of these clubs survive. Um, and because people play football for the love of it, and you don't want to lose something you love due to just being a bit wasted, a bit of a wastrel. Yeah, well, that's that's one of the things David James said. We, you know, we in danger of losing a whole generation of football lovers and people who who don't play football. If they can't play football, won't necessarily go and watch games. They'll just lose their interest in football, which is, you know, football at a grassroots level for all sorts of people, for, for young girls, for asylum seekers, for all sorts of people is a very important place to be. Um, I like David James. He's a very thoughtful, uh, sensitive man, but he baffles other people in football. I remember David Seaman once said to me, the thing with David James is a bit weird because he buys books and he reads them, um, <laughs> uh, which which then led us whoa, into. Whoa. Yeah, is, is, is there is there a book due out uh, today, Kevin? Uh, as it is Thursday, the first of October, that perhaps David James ought to go and buy and read. Well, there is actually. Yeah, yeah, it completely slipped my mind until I subliminally put a question in about books. Um, yes, it is my book. Who are you? Uh, 92 Football League Clubs and Why You Shouldn't Support Them is out today. Thank you very much. It's, uh, so the old school people amongst you can now go to uh, bookshops and get it. I was very pleased today when someone phoned me up to say that uh, the Waterstones in Nuneaton, I think it was, has already started selling it. So that's that's good. So, uh, And it's available via the usual uh, Amazon and uh, Waterstones website. So, yes, thank you for that, uh, uh, Kieran. Your, your PR skills are only matched by your media skills. Um I, I was going to carry on to say, did, see if anybody from Bloomsbury are listening, they would say, just stop being embarrassed about publicising the book. Uh, they, they said I was too reticent about tweeting. I've tweeted three times. That's enough, surely. Um, but David Seaman, because that, I was so intrigued by David Seaman saying he buys books and he reads them. And I said, I said, what, what do you mean? What, what do you buy books for? And he said, to cover up shelves. <laughs> he buys, he, and he generally said, I buy them by the yard. So, um, he also, in the same conversation, went on to tell me, I asked how his new house was going. He said, uh, oh, it's, it's not brilliant because uh, I, I don't like fishing. He's got a lake in his house. And he said, there's a no fishing sign and it's putting me off fishing. So I said, well, <laughs> why don't you take it down? He said, I'll put it up. Um, so he, he was put off <laughs> he, was put, <laughs> he was put off by his own no, no fishing sign. Um, um, now, Kieran, your favourite subject, FIFA and um, the smaller nations. FIFA have suspended the Trinidad and Tobago FA. Yes, um, this is is not a great surprise. If, if anybody's ever been familiar with the activities of Jack Warner, oh, who is a former FIFA vice president. Yeah. Um, I, I used to teach in, in Trinidad, and uh, he, was, he was pretty notorious those days uh, for his connections with football and other industries. Now, Jack Warner was given a life suspension from uh, FIFA, but he, but his his hands are still uh, you know, associated with, with unfortunately the local football association. He's presently up for uh, an extradition claim by the USA for, and I quote, racketeering, wire fraud, and money laundering. Oh, what's wire? What's wire fraud? Um, that's when you uh, wire money from one bank account to another. So it's sort of it's a bit a bit like it's 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 today it will be called internet banking. Oh, but uh, <laughs> under, under US legislation, it's called still called wire fraud. All oh, right, I used to strip wire for copper when I was a builder, but that's different, isn't it? I made about five pound a week doing that. I, mean, I imagine he's probably made more. No, I'm not suggesting that he's guilty of these things, but racketeering's a good word as well. And that's a proper old style word, isn't it? 
Oh, it is. It is, yes. Uh, and this is all to do, uh, amongst many things, um, with uh, an alleged £10 million payment by South Africa in getting... Uh, Jack, Jack Warner was uh, head of CONCACAF, which is the uh, FIFA, FIFA area which, which deals with uh, North America, South America and the Caribbean. Yeah. Um, this is to do with an alleged £10 million payment which uh, ended up in Jack's uh, bank account purely by coincidence. Uh, he, he voted, and as did CONCACAF, for the 2010 World Cup to go to South Africa. And uh, I, I must confess, it was an absolutely brilliant World Cup to attend. Saw loads of matches there, superb, uh, superbly put on. It's just such a tragedy what's happened to the stadium since then. Yeah. Um, and what what Jack Warner used to do, and he, he was uh, quite uh, quite sneaky here, if you ask me, was that he got Concacaf to become very big. So, uh, you know, the Cayman Islands ended up applying to join uh, the FIFA uh, and sort of uh, Barbuda and other places, which which didn't even have uh, football pitches, ended up applying to FIFA, and FIFA said yes. And of course, that meant it because uh, FIFA is. A democratic organisation, one country, one vote, and you know, we're, we're all in favour of democracy. Um, it did mean that, that Jack seemed to wield an awful lot of power, uh, especially as FIFA are quite good at distributing money to every single member, uh, but they're not quite as good as to checking up what that money gets spent on. Um, so FIFA have accused the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association of serious mismanagement. Um, the Trinidad and Tobago Football Association tried to get that overturned uh, in a local court, which is against FIFA regulations. So they've now been kicked out. Um, and uh, until they until they come back to FIFA and say, yes, we, we're going to open the books to scrutiny, uh, I don't think they're going to be allowed to play matches in future which uh, does have implications, of course, because uh, FIFA do, are, are, of course, starting to to build towards the next World Cup. Mm. I don't have the same happy memories of that World Cup, I'm afraid, because I worked on a very stressful TV show for the duration. But I did get to watch one of the games with Tinchy Strider. That was fun. Um, <laughs> uh, now, um, our final story before we have that lovely interview with uh, the very happy Heather McKinley. In Holland, the FA have blocked... Uh, FC Emmen from having a sex toy shop as their sponsor. Now, that's bad news for FC Emmen, Kieran, but I smell a sponsorship opportunity here, and it smells of latex. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if uh, if Easy Toys, which is the name of the sponsor, um, if, if they don't want to uh, sponsor FC Emmen, I know a very, very reputable uh, podcast on football <laughs> finance, and, and we'll, we'll take money from anyone apart from the gambling industry because we've got standards. But th- this actually is, is a sort of slightly more serious note. Um, the KNVB, uh, who are the, the Dutch Football Association, they have prohibited this sponsorship arrangement on the grounds of one of their rules is that sponsors cannot uh, – cannot call into question good taste or decency so so why do they allow gambling sponsors because i don't think there's anything decent about the gambling industry ultimately the sex toys industry and you know of people are probably aware i I used to i used to manage a sex shop way back when um it's 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 bringing happiness into people's lives as as well as batteries Uh, and therefore I, i can't see why the, the they're being so prudish because you know 
Amsterdam is is well known as a, not a particularly prudish city, and and the Netherlands isn't a prudish country. Um, Easy Toys have said, you know, our shirt our shirt sponsorship does not apply to under eighteen shirts, so therefore, you know, it's only going to be the adults. Um, and the value of the sponsorship deal was five hundred thousand euros per annum. So it would have been a big boost for um, FCM in a season when everybody needs a bit of extra cash. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insights, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. You're right. The, the, the sex toy industry does bring um, eye-watering happiness uh, and gambling. It's 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 interesting as well. And, and I should point out, Kieran made reference to us turning down. Sport. We've we've been two major gambling companies have offered us sponsorship, which we uh, turned down uh, with some regret, I have to say, because they offered us a lot of money. But um, I I was happy with that decision. But you kind of. I've got a friend who's who's Dutch. He says, "What well, you have to remember, because I always, yeah, of course, we, we marvel at the Dutch attitude. We think it's a very laid back country, but it's still a kind of hardcore Protestant element to the Dutch touch culture that is slightly prudish. And it's, but it, it's a shame though, because I mean, the harm. I mean, the sponsor's logo is quite hard. There's nothing graphic about the the sponsor's logo, and as yeah, I, I think I suppose somebody could slightly get confused about easy toy as a name but it's a it's it's a shame really because i think as well in in the future when inevitably the government will prevent gambling sponsorship will football clubs will have to look for more imaginative sponsors won't they yes yeah it'd be an easy jet you, you, well you could of course of course apply to the same industry but you know it's, it's only a couple of words and there's nothing prudish in the words or the logo itself wasn't anything uh suggestive of special cuddle related activities yes and just to clarify the easy toy has nothing to do with easy jet so just 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 for those people uh listening at home now um our interview uh, along with wigan i think charlton has probably been the team we've spoken about most uh in recent months and even until two weeks ago it looked like there was no way out of that situation and suddenly here they are 
with a new owner who seems very reputable and very cool and seems to have the necessary money. Um, so we spoke to Heather McKinley. We've been trying to speak to her for some time, but our, our legal advisor, i.e. producer guy, uh, who's too cheap to actually get a legal advisor but thinks he knows enough about himself, said he was, was slightly worried about us talking to her while various court cases were going on. So we finally got a chance to talk to her today. She's from the Charlton Athletic Supporters Trust. And as you can imagine, she is one relieved person. Here's what she had to say to us. Heather, hello. Years of uncertainty and suddenly you're in calmer waters. You must be pinching yourself, aren't you? Well, it's unbelievable, really, Kevin. Um, I think we've been through the mill the last, what, seven seven or so years, really, ever since De Chatelet turned up. So it's fantastic now to feel that we're coming out of that and that there hopefully is a bright future ahead. Now, younger listeners may not know, Heather, that Charlton have got a brilliant history of, of fan involvement. I mean, we all uh, remember the Valley Party that got involved in local elections and got you back to the Valley, which was brilliant. How important were fans this time, do you think? Yeah, very important, I think. Um, I mean, from the early days of ESI, there was there was a lot of jubilation when it was first announced that East Street Investments had taken over um, back at the turn of the year. And there was pressure for them to be you know, approved by the EFL and to be able to get on with a change. And at that point, we'd been told they'd bought um, the club, the entity, lock, stock and barrel, I think was the quote. Mm-hmm. Then gradually it really started to unravel and fans were you know, very much at the heart of, of getting to the bottom of what was going on as soon as we realised that things weren't quite what they seemed. And it was in an interview that I did myself for the trust with Matthew Southall that he first confirmed that they had actually only bought the football company and not the assets that they were still with de Chatelet. At that point, he said there was a legal obligation to buy them um, within six months, um, was the time frame quoted. Um, and clearly that has unravelled as well. And then really by mid-March, when there was a big fallout between Southall and Nemo on social media, since then, fans have been totally on the case to understand what's really going on, who are these people who've got involved with the club, um, and how do we move on from this? And the Supporters Trust met with the EFL, didn't they, several times, I understand? Um, just the once, formally. We started communicating with them properly once things, well, once it became clear in mid-March that there were major problems. Um and they promised us a meeting from that point on. But obviously, at that stage, we were just going into the COVID lockdown. Um, so that was a reason why they couldn't do things immediately. Um, or it was a reason given. It, then we kept in touch with them. And we got um, sort of fairly bland responses on the whole um, to some of our concerns. But there was this ongoing promise that we would have a meeting. And then eventually that happened just within the last couple of weeks. Um, and it was a very productive meeting, I must say. Um, we, Dave Baldwin, the new CEO, was on the call. Uh, we did it as a, as a Zoom meeting. Um, and it, he gave us quite a lot of assurance that they were very concerned to ensure that there was a positive outcome for the football club. Um, and I think we couldn't really say anything more than that. It's the EFL's way not to want specific details out in public um, and their regulations actually prevent them to do it from doing that in certain cases, um, such as embargoes. 
Um, but overall, we came out of that meeting feeling that they did care about the future of Charlton Athletic. And that was you know, quite important for us, vitally important for us to understand that they were working hard to ensure a positive outcome. Of course. And what do you know about the new owner, Thomas Sandgard, Hever? Uh, apart from the fact that he looks pretty damn cool, I have to say. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? I mean, we were hoping we were going to have the coolest owner in football, but now that um, <laughs> Mr Reynolds is first on the scene, <laughs> Rex is quite out. He, I mean, he appeared absolutely from nowhere. It was just suddenly... Um, an article in the in the local press that he was interested in buying us and that was just a matter of weeks ago it was late August um, and obviously we all jumped on to well, what can we find out about this guy um, he's based in Denver Colorado he is originally Danish but moved to the States um, when yeah, I'm not sure exactly how old he was but basically moved to the States set up a business there um, and it's a business around medical devices so it's like pain relief devices and he's built that into an extremely successful business. He's now 62. I think he's at the point where he wants to, he, he feels he's got a good team running that business for him. And he wants to indulge his, his passions, if you like, which are rock music and football. And that was when he alighted on Jolton. Uh, well, of course, the Valley have got a, an impressive history of rock music in the past as well, haven't they? The Who used to play there. Kieran, what what do you know about Thomas Sangard? Is is this a guy who's who's got the actual money? He's not his his fortune's not built on sand. This is nothing for Charlton fans to worry about. No, I've taken a look at Zynex, which is his business. Uh, it's uh, it's very solid. I mean, in in the USA, uh, the medical devices without anything to do with with health tends to be quite a lucrative business uh, but it's also very good to see that that he set up a, a foundation mm. uh, which which is addressing one of the one of the 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 issues which is doesn't get ever spoken about it's that there is there is a huge addiction problem to prescribed drugs in the US um, and, and he's trying to to help people come to terms with that um, certainly on the face of things, everything is looking very positive. Um, and, uh, you know, he has gone on record that he's effectively put down a bond to cover the ongoing costs of the club. And, and this is something that, that we've been very keen on, uh, new owners who are coming into the game to, to show that level of commitment. So, you know, t- to date, everything looks fantastic. Yeah, his foundation is particularly keen on getting people off prescription painkillers, isn't he? So um, he's done that for a lot of Charlton fans in one fell swoop, hasn't he? The, the supporters trust have met him, haven't they, Heather? We have, yes. Again, on a Zoom call. Um, it was before, obviously before anything was official, um, so a few weeks ago now. But it was when he, what he has done very well is engage with the fans and yeah. get the fans on side and to help support the the takeover and I think that's quite critical given what we've been through with owners that everyone was very or became certainly very skeptical about um, and quite opposed to and we contacted him um, I think it was through LinkedIn initially and then he he's, he he came on the phone you know especially it seemed as soon as he got hold of a phone number he was phoning people up um, which was quite amazing really um, I'd never spoken to Du Chatelet and I've spoken to Sangard several times um, we then set up a meeting and the, the trust board had a really good chat with him um, and we're hoping for a follow-up you know, pretty soon now um, once he's he's got through these these first few days um, so yeah it's a whole I think it will be a whole different whole different relationship so 
Yeah, I, I read his open letter to Charlton fans in the Evening Standard, which uh, most of our listeners know by now is the the London uh, newspaper. And I, I was very impressed with it. And I think, Heather, you're probably like me. After years of experience as a football fan, you get a you get a sort of instinct for the ones that are genuine, the owners that are genuine. And, and this seemed to me like a uh, the letter to fans of somebody who really wants to run the club and run the club well. And he's very aware of what fans have been through, which is it's good that he at least acknowledges that in public, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's quite amazing, really. I think it's very clear he loves football. He knew all about the Danish players that have played for Charlton in the past. He used to have a bit of banter with him about them. Um, he's a big fan of Dennis Romadal, who scored a winner in the last minute at Selhurst Park. Sorry, I had to just drop that in. Um, so <laughs> we've certainly bonded over over things like that. And I think he is an absolute breath of, breath of fresh air. Um, we will see. He's a very he's a big character. He's an extrovert. He's an optimist. He's already stated he wants us to be competing for a European place within fifteen years. Um, it, there's a long way to go to get to anything like that, and a huge amount of challenge ahead. Um, so yeah, we'll have to see how that all works out. I'm sure at times he will be a little bit maverick. He'll want to do things his way. Um, but as long as he's doing it for the right reasons and with the interest of the football club at heart, then that's what really matters. Yes, yeah, he, he he may know about the Danish players, though. Does, has, does he know about Derek Hales? Yeah, I haven't had the chance to ask him about that yet. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, obviously, you've, you've got reasons for optimism now, um, although I have to say, as a Palace fan, that 15 years does seem wildly over-optimistic. But how how pessimistic did you get? I mean, were there... Were there times when you were thinking about a Phoenix club? Did, did you think that we're not going to get through this? I, I mean, we were absolutely seriously concerned. A lot of fans have been having sleepless nights, me included. Um, you know, waking up at two, three in the morning, thinking, "Are we going to have a football club?" Um, it, and it really was at that level. We were probably not paying the September wages away from that happening. So, a matter of days. And there have been times, in particular in the last few weeks, with the court cases and everything going on, where we thought it's just going to be impossible for someone to sort out this mess. Even after Sangard had appeared, it just seemed that we were already too caught up in you know, this ridiculous web of uh, shenanigans, I think is the, the, the polite words that have been used. Um, and it was going to be really hard for us to get out of that and to see a future for the club. Um there, there is a group that had actually registered AFC Charlton. Um, it, yeah, we were aware of that. They were kind of there if it was going to be needed. So, I, I mean, I hate to think about things like that. That's not the future I want to see for see for Charlton. Um, but there were, yeah, there were some some really really dark days when we, you know, we were seriously worried that we were going to be the next Berry. And it's it's amazing how quickly the lockdown. I mean, it's just sort of two weeks ago. Kieran and I were talking about it on the pod when the previous owner, in inverted commas, took their injunction out to mm-hmm. prevent Sandgard buying the club. It seemed then as though a solution seemed years away, and then suddenly, almost out of the blue, within two weeks, here you are. I mean, that must have come as a relief, obviously, but also a bit of a surprise. I think it did in the end. There'd been a lot of rumour that a deal was done and was going to be announced, um, I think, before the appeal court hearing, and then nothing happened. Um, so during those you know, few days, couple of weeks, everyone was extremely worried. I think, though, um, 
I will just correct slightly what you said there. The injunction didn't prevent the sale of the club. The injunction prevents the sale of shares in ESI, East Street oh, Investments. Right. And it's because of that that Sangard believes that the deal he has done to actually buy the club from East Street Investments is therefore legally sound. Um, we'll wait and see. There could yet be further proceedings. Who knows whether um, Paul Elliott and Chris Farnell um, will have the appetite for that. Um, but that's, I think we've got to applaud that he, he really has done his due diligence and he's managed to negotiate with De Chatelet, which is something that many others have, have failed to, to be able to do. So um, we've got to give him huge credit for finding a way through through the mess and for a lot of determination, really, to get it done. When When things look so worrying off the pitch, Heather, do you... Do you even think about results on it? Does it does it bother you that things aren't going particularly well on the pitch? You, you, like when when you know Palace had this situation twice when we looked like we were going under, any any point was a bonus really, but it didn't really care because all you worried about was that you had a club at the end of it. So, are, are you relieved that now you can just go back to worrying about results? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you want to. I mean, in the end, you want to be a football fan for the on pitch side of it for you know having debates and discussions over who should be picked to play centre-half or who should be signing up front and whether or not the current forward can score the goals and you know, is up to it or not. And that's really what being a football fan is all about. But you're absolutely right. When the future of the club's in jeopardy, then that, that becomes a bit of a sideshow almost. And it, all the chat is about well, what's what's going to happen. You know, can we get out of this mess? What's happening in court? I mean, I've never learnt so much about... EFL regulations about court procedures about it's crazy really and you know, I just want to watch the football but even then we can't actually attend and do that either at the moment so there's still a bit of frustration around that yeah although one of your pilot schemes was at your club and it went very well um yeah, yeah I Kieran Kieran tries to keep me in touch with EFL regulations but I, I do tend to glaze over a little bit because it's so complicated and also seems to change on a club by club basis as well um you you bought a, a very good player in for nothing this week in Ben Watson uh uh ex Palace really good player uh frustratingly as well Lee Bowyer who's obviously cock a hoop and Lee Bowyer I think has conducted himself very well in the past year or so he's finally got a bit of money for transfers but he's finding it hard to spend because of the salary cap and Kieran I imagine that's going to be a common problem for some of the clubs isn't it yeah I mean I think uh, we've been oh sorry Heather yeah, I was Go just going to sort of chip in in terms of the the, the finances for for clubs in League One and Two. Uh, they're going to have to try to negotiate down. I think there's going to be a lot of brinkmanship because there's so many players who are presently out of contract. Their representatives are trying to get them to the upper end of the the uh, the squad salary cap, um, and who's going to who's going to blink first is going to determine who who signs for whom. Tell us about Lee Bowyer, Heather, because as as a, as a player uh, and as somebody who's from South London, you, he, he was a troubled young man and a volatile player. But he, as I say, has conducted himself magnificently, I think, on behalf of your club in recent months and years, hasn't he? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been, it was a big surprise, I think, to a lot of fans when he, he came back just on a part-time coaching basis. And then when Carl Robinson moved on, suddenly he was manager. Um and a lot of people were slightly quizzical. Let's see how this works out. If he's still got the same temperament he had as a player, then you know, we could be in trouble here. Um, 
but the reality is, I think he discovered fishing in the meantime. And really? He, yes, he actually bought a fishing business in France and was spending a lot of time just sitting, doing nothing, enjoying his fishing. And that seems to have brought a huge calmness to him. Um, but that is still very much linked to an absolute drive to win. And I think he surprised himself, actually, how much he's he's taken to the management side of things. He saw it maybe as a bit of a stopgap, um, something to fill, fill a bit more of his time with. Um, and as it is now, he's, he's become hugely committed. Um, he's very driven. He absolutely wants to win all the time. Um, and I think he's probably got that in common with Sangard. So I'm hoping there's going to be a really good match there. Um, obviously, they'll they'll need to they'll need to work out their relationship, but the early signs look look really positive on that. So I hope they can they can really forge that and build on that and help take us forward. Now, there's there's still one big hurdle to overcome in the future, and I'm almost reluctant to mention it because this should be a time for you just to sit back and relax and enjoy yourself. But the the ground and the and the training ground are still owned by De Chatelet. Is that correct? That's correct, yes. Yeah. Sangod has renegotiated it, so it's now on a 15-year lease, whereas right. previously I think it was actually only five years. Um, so I think he feels he's got a, you know, a good, solid deal there. Um, we haven't seen the details of it yet. I think at some point we might get to see more when it's on the land registry. Um, but our understanding is that you know, Sangod feels that's that sorted. We can just get on and play and concentrate on the, on the playing side. Now, for all Charlton fans, obviously, your heart does sink a little bit. Um, the idea of the football club being separated from from the Valley, particularly. Um, obviously, we've been there before with our history with Delhurst Park. And sorry, I'm, I'm not going to be grateful at <laughs> your last pod. <laughs> Expect a little bit of gratitude from Charlton fans for sharing Delhurst. But no, I'm sorry, I'm not going there. Um, it, so, I mean, we'll have to see. I think Sangod again has said there might be a time in the future when he tries to negotiate a deal to, to buy them. Um, but our understanding is that I don't think that deal's in place already. I think that would be more a case of that would that would be a separate negotiation. So, yes, we'll have to see how that pans out. And 15 years sounds like quite a long time, but in other ways, in football terms, it's not really that long at all. So. Well, I mean, if, if Sangard's optimism plays out rightly, you could be mm. in the Champions League final in the same week that you get the Valley back, which would be a good cause for celebration. Yeah. It's been uh, wonderful to talk to you, Heather. Uh, our clubs don't particularly like each other, but football is much more important than local rivalry. So it's brilliant that it's been resolved. And it's such a shame that we haven't got fans back in the ground because I would, I would imagine that the first home game after this was resolved would have been an atmosphere the like of which you haven't seen for some time uh, down at the Valley. So we wish you all the best in the future and hopefully we'll get you back on uh, to talk about your European adventure in 15 years' time. That'd be brilliant. Thank you. Now, Kieran, obviously this is... Uh, it, it looks like, finally, not a false door. It looks like actual good news. The only slight worry is the fact that and it's a situation Palace found themselves into their, to their regret, is that the Chatelet still owns the ground and the training ground, doesn't he? Yes. Uh, if if, uh, if Mr Sandgard's uh, comments are correct, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be, at least uh, Charlton have got 15 years of, of guaranteed football taking place. Um he he's, he seems a very he does seem an incredibly cool dude. I mean, there was there's no doubt about it. 
Um, and uh, you, you can understand. I mean, Heather was going to come in on the show on uh, on Monday, but she was still hung over a wee bit um, <laughs> and therefore decided very sensibly to delay it. Uh, yeah, but I'm, I'm absolutely delighted for everybody connected with the club. Um, lots of people have come out of this with a lot of credit. You know, Lee Boyer, the fans themselves, yeah. Mr. Sangard. Uh, some people have come out of it with no credit whatsoever, and I won't name names, uh, but uh, they'll be on our wrong and special uh, at the end of the year, along with Jack Warner. Which we are planning, yeah. I should point out to everybody, by the way, that if uh, we were to postpone this podcast every time one of us was hungover, we wouldn't be doing it much at all. Um, yeah, is, and, and from De Chatelet's point of view, I mean, he was the original villain of the piece, although as as time went on, he became less so. Um, he's, you know, he's still the cause of it, but compared to other people that tried to follow him. I mean, from his point of view, he's got guaranteed income, basically, of, of quite substantial for 15 years. So there's no there's no market or mileage in him playing up or trying to affect the deal, is there? He might as well just sit back and take the money. Oh, yeah. He, he just he just wants to get his rent. Yeah. Uh, I mean, for, for all for all of the breakdown in the relationship with De Chatelet, uh, Charlton were running at a substantial loss every year, and he was underwriting those losses. So, you know, compared to the likes of Steve Dale and Co., uh, he's 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 no he's no friend of football necessarily, but he's not he's not he's not a Bond style villain. No, and I think I think the misgivings with him began as as they would for any club fan. If you know that your new owner owns other clubs as well, you slightly. Sets the alarm bells ringing, doesn't it? Because you think you might not be his priority. But as you say, it is really good news for Charlton fans. And hopefully we'll be able to speak to Caroline from the Wigan Supporters Trust uh, on our next pod and, and talk about their good news as well. So it's 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 great to have two good news stories in one pod, which is unusual for us. Um, uh, the next pod is a questions pod. If you have a question for us on any aspect of football, football finance, what the weather's like in Sussex, where the dog is tonight in Kieran's house, it's questions at price of... Football.com, I might take. I might go down to. I like Whitehawks grounds. Maybe, maybe we should meet up and go to Whitehawk Whiteleaf next week, and then and then great. and then kick off. I'll get <laughs> I'll get drunk and then kick off in front of <laughs> start calling start come on in Sussex. Um, uh, so, Kieran, I'll, I'll, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't do that. I have to not in my nature. Um, in case I'm putting on, in case Whitehawk complain that the crowd's down by two hundred because they were worried that I might kick off down there. All there we, we normally have two hundred accountants here. I don't understand it. Um, so yes, questions at Price Football, and I'll hand you over to Kieran for our final words. Well, uh, once again, thanks, thanks very much, folks, for the for the feedback, for the reviews on Apple Podcast. Uh, it it does make a difference to us. Uh, producer guy reads every single one of those as well, um, so so he he he's always a happy bunny. If you could give us a five star review, we'd be very grateful. It doesn't matter matter what you say. Um, you know, you can say you know I'm a happy Charlton fan. I'm an even happier Wigan fan. Um, you can you can say I'm I'm Jack Warner from from and I'm not being extradited. We don't care, and it makes no difference. Uh, but the algorithm that that uh, Apple use is that if you give us a five star review and write something, and apparently it pushes us further up the charts. Uh, it does allow us to to uh, you know book the guests and so on. So we would be very grateful. But apart from that, look after yourselves, look after your loved ones, and stay safe. Yes, and if anyone knows the Dutch for hello, easy toy, my name's Kieran. Uh, we're looking for a sponsor. That would be lovely.
that provides some photo quality.